Welcome to the Crossroads Youth Podcast. We hope this encourages and empowers you to be connected to God and one another. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Well, today we start a brand new two-week series called The Greatest. When you look throughout Scripture, there are two things that Jesus tells us to do. These are the things that give us purpose as Christians. This is what we're known for. These are the only tasks that he gave to us. And so today we go to one that I think is pretty well known for most people. Um, If you've been in church for quite some time, you've heard of the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, we find Jesus at the end of his life, and he tells his disciples what their commission is, what they're called to do. We'll study that in just a moment. Next week, we go to a passage where Jesus talks about the greatest commandment. So not just what your mission is, but how you should be living your life. And you say, well, Matt, why is this stuff so important? I think for specifically your age group, that the search for purpose in life, the search for what am I called to do, happens more than any other time in your life. And part of that, I'll just be honest, I think is a little bit like overblown and exaggerated. Like the pressure we put on high school students specifically to like try to figure out your entire life before you're 18, you know, and you feel all this pressure on how do I pick the right school and am I gonna have the right job? I will just tell you, like those, those decisions are important, but they're not near as important as like you think they are. They just aren't. Like, God will still be able to use you no matter where you go. God will still be able to work through your life no matter what path you choose and in what occupation. And I'll just also tell you that for a lot of people, what they go to school for isn't what they actually end up doing. And so take that pressure off you. You don't, you don't need to worry about it. But here's what I do want you to understand. Who you are is much more important than what you do for a living. And when you look for how you find purpose in life, your purpose has to come from some, somewhere deeper than what you're known for, like, oh, hey, I'm a, I'm a great golfer, or hey, I'm a, and that's not true about me, but Josh, you caught my eye, sorry. Um, you know, you, you're, hey, he can sing real good, or wow, she's a top cheerleader, all those things. Those things are great but that's not actually who you are. Who you are comes from so much deeper, and as Christians, we've truly found out who we are because we found out who we are in Christ. So when you give your life to Christ and you say, Jesus, you're not just my number one thing, you're my one thing. Like everything I do in life is about you. It's probably pretty important that we listen to him about what he calls us to do. So when you look throughout the Gospels, we see these stories about Jesus, where Jesus calls out people. Jesus goes to people that the rest of the world kind of forgets about. You go through the Gospels and you find stories about how Jesus calls fishermen to be his disciples. And we look at that today and we're like, ah, that's no big deal. But realize the, the, the area of the country that they're from. They're from Galilee. 
So people from Galilee have, have like an accent. In our country, this would be like a southern drawl, like someone from the deep south, you know, like, like the backwood parts of Mississippi or Arkansas or something, you know, or in Texas. We try to act like we don't have those parts, but we have them. But those type of people. So it's always funny to me because when, they, uh, when the day of Pentecost comes and Peter and all the disciples get up and preach, there's a group of people, the Bible records it, you can read it in Acts 2, where it says, like, people are like, what's wrong with these guys? How are they able to do this? They're preaching, and we all understand it. And someone goes, aren't these guys from Galilee? Like, they're making fun of them, going, there's no way. When they get pulled before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, it says that the Sanhedrin realized these were unschooled, ordinary men, meaning that these weren't the guys you would have picked. But Jesus saw them, and he gave them significance. You find stories about how in John chapter 4, Jesus goes out of his way because he knew this one lady, this one woman, was at the well and that he needed to talk to her about living water because she was someone who was hurting. You see Jesus loving a woman who was caught in adultery when the rest of the world was wanting to throw stones at her and, and kill her. You see Jesus seeking certain people out and giving significance to them. And I will tell you, one of the greatest things you can do in life is give significance to someone who feels insignificant. When you can take that time to reach out to someone who's an outcast, to include somebody who maybe doesn't totally fit in your friend group. When you tell someone, man, an encouraging word that they weren't expecting, I promise you it makes a difference. What we find in our text today is Jesus loving someone who didn't deserve it. In Luke chapter 19, we find the story of Zacchaeus. You've heard this story before. Um, you know, we used to sing a song about how he was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Anybody remember that song? Nope, okay, cool. People in the back, thank you. But here's the, here's the whole point with it. Jesus loved to give significance to people that had no significance. What's different about Zacchaeus was Zacchaeus had prominence, but he didn't have significance. He was the chief tax collector, meaning like that this dude was really, really rich, but everyone hated him. You can have prominence, you can be really important, but no one likes you. You don't have this significance. You don't have purpose. There's a lot of people that go through life like this. They're miserable, but they're successful. They're lonely, but everyone wants to be like them. And that's why we find these stories of like celebrities and influencers that are all alone and they look great when they're making their videos or they're making music or doing all these things, but really in life, they're a total wreck. That was Zacchaeus. So, well, Matt, I don't, I don't really like people like that. That's all right. God does. In 2 Timothy chapter, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, it says that God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, even Zacchaeus. So Luke chapter 19, let's start in verse 1. Look at what it says. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. You look at that, you go, nothing there, right? Notice what happens. He entered Jericho. Anybody ever have any idea that the story of Zacchaeus was from Jericho? No. 
You didn't. You know why? Because it's an insignificant part to us. But notice the phrase, and he was passing through. Now, flip over to that other passage in Matthew 28. This is Jesus' great commission. Look what he says. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore. Now, in our translation, this go, therefore, is really hard for us to translate. Because in the Greek language, there's a, there's a perfect present tense, meaning that it's this, this um, understood that you are doing something. So when you hear, go therefore, we look at that and go, this is a command, right? Like, oh, we need to go. We, we've got to go over here. We've got to go to Mexico on a mission trip. We've got to go do all these things. Really, you know what it means? It means that it's understood that you're already going. So really, the better reading of the Great Commission is as you go, and then what does it say? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, deserve, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. <clears throat> Look at what Jesus does. It says he entered Jericho and was passing through. If you read your Bible in Luke chapter 19, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem already. He's on his way for like Passion Week. So he's just going. And he sees someone that he needs to reach out to. The disciples understood this when Jesus gave them the Great Commission. It wasn't like, hey guys, I need everyone to sign up to be missionaries. Who's with me? Sign on the dotted line, all right? You're gonna have to forsake everything else. You guys gotta do this. No, you know what he tells them? As you're going, as you're doing what you're already doing, go and make disciples. There's a purpose that comes with what you're doing. And so this is why when we talk, we call the, these kingdom work, right? When you've been to Beach Week or camp sometime, you've heard us talk about being kingdom workers, where you leverage what you do. So you're not, you're not a, a, a football player. Now you're a kingdom worker, and you're using football to reach people for Jesus. That makes sense? This is what we're called to do. But look at this. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. This is what I love about it. You know the story of Zacchaeus isn't about a place, it's about a person. When we think go, so many times we think, well, I need to go on a mission trip. I need to do all these things. No, what you're called to do is just live your life in such a way. It's not about a place, it's about a person. Um, you say, well, well, if we don't go, what does that mean? Let me show you a passage. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. You've heard this before. It says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You know what it says right after that? But how will they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, someone sharing the good news? And how are they to preach unless they are sent. You get what he's saying? He's like, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We all love that. But you know the only way that happens? 
as if someone was sent. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, right? And look what he says. He says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Get it? Listen, when we're talking about what's the greatest, what's the, what's the thing that we're able to do that's greater than anything else in, the, in this world, it's not about, hey, I want you to become the greatest. We have, we've already got that settled. That's Jesus. But the greatest thing you and I can do on this earth is share Jesus with someone else. And the only way, don't miss this, the only way someone will respond to the gospel, that they will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved, you can read it in the Bible, is if someone takes up the charge and says, you know what? I've been sent. I'm going to go. That's how it happens. So how do we go? A couple quick points. Here's number one. We go by living intentionally. Verse two, look what it says. It says, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now, what we don't know about Zacchaeus is we don't know what led up to this moment. We all know the story about Zacchaeus. He's a wee little man. Wee little man was he. We get all that. But we don't know what took him to make the decision to go and try to find Jesus that day as he was passing by. We don't know if his mom had been praying every day day for her son to meet Jesus. No clue. We don't know if the, the word got to him from some friends and they were like, hey, Zacchaeus, I know that you're really successful. I know you got all this going on, but, um, but maybe, maybe you want to come by and see this, this guy who we hear is going through town. We have no idea what the story is. I think that's kind of, kind of cool, right? Like, the, we don't know what the backstory is. All we know is that there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He wasn't just a mere tax collector. That was Levi. That was Matthew and Jesus' disciples. Those were just normal tax collectors that no one liked. It was an IRS agent. But a chief tax collector meant he's in the most powerful government authority of Jericho. And just so you know, still to this day, Jericho is the oldest city in the world that's still in existence. So to be the guy that's way up in Jericho, big deal. So Zacchaeus is this major player in the Roman government. Uh, Jericho was this, this trade center between Egypt, Palestine, Arabia, and Syria. Everything crosses through Jericho. And this was Zacchaeus. But notice how the story goes, right? He's passing through Jericho, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. There will be times in your life when you know who you need to reach for Jesus, but also there'll be times when you're living for Jesus and somehow you just end up reaching someone. But our job, if we're going to go, if we're gonna believe the Great Commission, if we're gonna say this is the greatest thing we can do on earth, it's gonna take you and I living intentionally. 
Not, not just wasting our days. Well, what sounds fun? Where do y'all want to go? No, no, no. Have a purpose for what you're doing. It doesn't mean you can't ever go somewhere and have fun, but have a purpose of reaching people for Jesus there. You never know who needs to know about him. Here's number two. We go by removing obstacles. Verse three says he was seeking to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. You know what I love about this? Is Zacchaeus wasn't, dis, uh, what was I, not deterred, what's the thing? He wasn't discouraged by the crowds. I'll use that word, that's not the word I was looking for. But he didn't let anything stay in his way of getting to Jesus. So this wee little man that climbs up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, you know, he's looking down to see when Jesus is coming by. But can I flip that for us, since we're talking about how we go? What obstacles are in the way of the people that need to know Jesus in your circle, what obstacles do you need to remove for them to be able to come to him? Is it fear? Is your own fear getting in the way of someone getting to know Jesus? You're scared of what might happen if you actually invite them to church. You're scared of what might happen if you actually sat down with your mom or dad who's an unbeliever and you say, listen, this is so important to me. I just need to talk to you about it. Is it fear that's getting in the way? Is it your own lifestyle that's getting in the way? The, the, the things that you're allowing yourself to do? Are you losing your impact with certain friends because what you've allowed yourself to do with those certain friends? I don't know. If we want to go and reach people for Jesus, we have to be willing to remove the obstacles in our life. We have to be willing to remove the things that would get in the way of them coming to know him. Now let me just tell you, I use those two examples on purpose. Because when you talk about fear, everybody's like, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't want to ruin this relationship. I don't want to do all that. You know who fear comes from, right? Fear is the opposite of faith. This whole, this whole relationship with Jesus is built upon faith. Everything you do opposite of faith is fear. That you either walk in fear or you walk in faith. So if you're walking in fear, you're scared of those things, guess what is going to happen? You're following and listening to what Satan's calling you to do because Satan doesn't want you talking to them about Jesus. Satan doesn't want you inviting your friends to church. Absolutely not. That's not the Lord that's telling you that. And the, the things that you've done that have, that have hurt your testimony, listen, when you're known for your sin, not a good place to be. But you know what this book is full of and what this church is full of? is people that are no longer known for their sin. They're known for their redemption in Jesus, the forgiveness that he gives, and how they're able to overcome that sin. No Christian is perfect. Like, we're gonna all mess up. I promise you, you hang around me long enough, you're gonna see me mess up. 
You just are. Yeah, that's my connect group, right? Like, you, you will. You'll see me fail because I'm not perfect. I don't claim to be. But what you will always see is how the grace of Jesus loves me through it and that my willingness to follow him should propel me forward to where I'm not defined by my sin, but I'm defined by my Savior. And again, your enemy wants to remind you of your sin all the time and tell you, you can't ever speak up and share Jesus with someone. Look what you did. Look what you've done. And you know the message of Jesus? He says, I want you to tell everyone about me. You know why? Because I took care of your sin. Yeah, don't look at your sin. You look at your Savior. We remove obstacles. Look what it says in verse four. He says, he ran ahead, climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up to him and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I love this part, because you talk about not removing obstacles. There's a huge crowd all around Jesus, but he sees Zacchaeus. And even though this crowd is all around, Jesus says, I don't care, I see you. And you know what's amazing? He calls him by name. Again, we don't know if Jesus just knew about Zacchaeus, because he was such a a high-up major player in the Roman government and the revenue department? Or if this was just the fact that Jesus was God, and he sees a lost sheep, he goes after him. But don't miss the principle here. The crowds that were cheering and following Jesus weren't what was most important. It was the lost sheep that he needed to go after. We don't see any other person that he calls out in the crowd, but Zacchaeus. And I don't know when it was for you, but there's been a time in your life, if you're a Christian, where you felt that call from Jesus, where it didn't matter who else was around, didn't matter who the crowd was, you felt him call your name. And he gave significance to you when you felt insignificant. This is what Jesus does. And as we go, this is the same thing we do. We remove obstacles. It says he, uh, it says for for, uh, Zacchaeus, he says he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Keep going, point number three. We go by seeing people as Jesus does. Can you imagine what happened in the crowd when they heard him call out to Zacchaeus? You bet there were some people that were upset going, why is he talking to that guy? Really? You want to go hang out with him? You realize Jesus got in trouble for being the friend of sinners, for having dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes? The religious people were all fired up because Jesus was hanging out with the wrong people all the time. They're bad for you. A couple things. One, That doesn't give you permission to just go hang out with all the wrong people, okay? It's always easier to pull someone down than it is to pull them up. I used to do this illustration, I don't have time for it today, where I would stand up on here and I'd have have someone try to pull me up on stage. I'd usually try to pick someone, you know, like some small little 
skinny person, and they're like trying to pick me up, and they can't. Landon, why did you give me a thumbs up? Did I ever make you do it? I should. I should make you do it right now. But there's no way they could pick me up. But you know how hard it was for me to grab Landon's hand and pull him down? It's pretty easy. Why? Because it's always easier to bring someone down, bring someone down than it is to, bring, to lift them up. It's true in encouraging and insulting someone. Like, it's always easier to come up with something to make fun of someone for than it is to come up with something to encourage someone with. Am I right? Like, that's just the way it works. So the same is true with your group of friends. Be careful who you hang out with. If you hang out with a a lot of bad people, chances are they're going to bring you down. Flip side, don't insulate yourself so much from the world that you have no impact in the world. Like, God never called us to say, hey, you know what? I never want you to be around. That wasn't the purpose of anything. The, the, the way that, that some people falsely interpret the, the word of God to think that somehow you've got to stay away from everyone who's sinful, you've missed the point. Like the purpose of Jesus was to come to people who needed him. The purpose of the church is to go to people who are hurting and need him. The purpose of all of us as Christians, the greatest thing we can do is to go and be who Jesus called us to be. And to do that, you've got to see people as Jesus sees them. Don't worry about getting made fun of. If you go and Make friends with people who have no friends at school. Don't worry about what people will think of you if you reach out to the people that no one else wants to reach out to. You'll be a whole lot like Jesus. In Revelation 22, verse 7, the final, 17, the final invitation in Scripture says, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. The way the King James says, it says, whosoever will may come and drink freely of the water of life. (coughs) Verse seven says, when they saw it, when they saw Zacchaeus and Jesus meeting up and going to his house, They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You know, isn't it frustrating to see all the people that are the spiritual speck checkers, you know? Like the ones that can point out every speck in everyone else's eyes when they have a huge log coming out of their own. You're gonna always find people. When you are doing what God's called you to do, you will always have people who wanna tell you you're doing it wrong. It's just the way it is. There's a lot of religious people that get really upset when people love people like Jesus has called us to love them. But you know the reality is, you and I don't get to pick and choose who who deserves God's grace and who doesn't. We don't get to sit here and elevate one sin over the other. We don't get to say, hey, you know what? I don't like them. They don't deserve grace. I'll never forget after 9-11, I was in college and I had a weekend ministry. And I was talking about grace and forgiveness uh, at a Sunday night Bible study. And I said, listen, Osama bin Laden deserves God's grace as much as, it, as I do. And I had this old, old farmer in Oklahoma goes, no, he doesn't. 
And I said, no, he, he really does. And like, we get in an argument in front of everybody. And he's like, no, this guy that came and, you know, whatever, sent people to, to attack our country, do all that, he's not worthy of God's grace. Yeah, he is. Just because his sin is different than mine doesn't mean it's any worse than mine. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, but we carry the greatest message this world has ever heard. That there's a God in heaven who loves you so much that he gives his grace to each and every one of us. Here's number four. We go by growing in Jesus Verse eight says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. You talk about going, you know what it's gonna take? It's gonna take you actually growing. There's proof of repentance in what happens with Zacchaeus. Notice, God's plan is never for you to stay the same. He's forgiven you of your sin, but that doesn't, uh, that doesn't mean you remain in your sinful state. That you just keep doing all the same things you did before. Oh, I've got forgiveness. Let me just keep doing this. No, look what happens with Zacchaeus. He's given his life to Christ. He's had this powerful moment. What happens? He's having the Holy Spirit start to work inside of him. And before you just go, man, that's unbelievable. I'm gonna restore it fourfold. You realize that that's what the law required him to do? If you wrong someone, if you defraud someone, that's what you're called to do according to the Levitical law. We don't have time to go into all of it, but if you turn from Luke chapter 18, or excuse me, Luke chapter 19, just one chapter earlier in Luke chapter 18, you have quite the contrast here. In Luke chapter 18, we have the story of the rich young ruler who had all this money and wealth, and Jesus he asked Jesus, what, what do I have to do to uh, inherit eternal life? Or how, how, how do I get saved? And, and Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. He goes, I've kept all these since I'm young. He says, then sell everything you have and give it all to the poor. And you know what it says? It says he went away sad for he had a lot of wealth. He didn't do it. But Zacchaeus, who was rich and had all this wealth, he gives his life to Christ, and what happens? He gives it away. You see, there's a, there's a principle here. When I'm doing something to make someone love me, it's never gonna come with pure motives. But when I love someone, the result is I'm gonna do something for them. That make sense? So for Jesus, rich young ruler, he's trying to make Jesus love him. Oh, I, gotta, I gotta do all this. And so Jesus gives him this like very Jewish answer. It's the way that rabbis do things. Uh, still to this day, you go to a synagogue, you ask a rabbi a question, you know what he's gonna answer you with? A question, just to frustrate you because they wanna make you think and reason and all that. It's like, okay, settle down, buddy. But that's what Jesus did to the rich young ruler. He just wanted to frustrate this guy and be like, you're missing the whole point. Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus gives his life to Christ, and as a result, out of the overflow of what Jesus has done to him, 
He does what is right. You want to go, you've got to grow in Jesus. Last one, first, or excuse me, number five, we go by sharing Jesus' mission. Look at what happens in verse 10. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This was at the core of Jesus, and it still is. The reason he came to earth is to seek and to save the lost. It's the greatest thing we can do. You look at Luke chapter 15. It starts with these three parables about things being lost, a a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son, or the prodigal son. All of that flows together as you go through Luke 16, 17, 18, and then finally in chapter 19. But you see what happens? You find all these stories about lost people that need significance. And it culminates with this mission statement about all of it, that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Philemon 6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. You want to know how to have fulfillment? You want to know how to have a great life? You share Jesus. It's the greatest thing you can do. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. So what are we going to do? I'm not asking you to sign up for a mission trip. I'm not asking you to, to, to forsake everything in your life and go overseas. I'm simply saying, like Jesus, it's the greatest thing you can do. As you go, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always till the end of the age. It's the greatest thing that we can do. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or even take a screenshot and share it to your social stories and make sure to tag us at Crossroads Youth. Thanks again for listening. See you soon.